So I get the great privilege today um, to say all these great things about the Bible and how it teaches us about God's love and then talk to you about the book of Judges. Now, if you've been with us the last several weeks, the book of Judges is a violent book. It is a book that I don't think I want to preach again on for a long, long time because it is rated R and there's a lot of things I can't even say in this space because it is not child-friendly. So the question that kept coming to my brain this week as I thought about third grade Bible and how important the Bible is, is how do we reconcile the parts of the Bible that are more complicated? When we know that God is love, when we know the witness of Jesus Christ and the grace of God, how do we reconcile that with a book like the book of Judges that is very violent, where the people continue to fall over and over again and fail over and over again and need deliverance over and over again? And it's one of those books where it's hard sometimes to find the message of redemption. So today is our last day in the book of Judges. Yay! Mainly clap for me because I'm so excited. This is our last week in the book of Judges, and we are talking about an actual child's book character that many of our children have probably read about, Samson. Samson and the the story of Samson is found in the book of Judges. Now, if you've heard the childlike story, you may know a little bit about Samson. He was a man of great strength, and he was a man who fought off hundreds of people, and God was said to have given him this great strength, and this great strength was found in his hair. I cut James's hair this last week, and every time we cut his hair, it is just like the world is coming to an end. I'm like, you must have been talking to Samson, because I swear it's not where your strength is. But Samson is the judge in the book of Judges. But what we find over the chapters in the book of Judges is that we go from wonderful, really idyllic judges like Deborah to slowly getting to judges who are less admirable, less ones that we would like to follow, less ones that actually follow God. And so the book of Judges has these judges, like Samson, who not only teach us about what we should do, but maybe some of the things that we shouldn't do as well. So we're going to read a part of Samson's story today and start in chapter 13. I'm going to read you his origin story, for lack of better words, and then we'll read a little bit of what happens to him. So starting in chapter 13, it says, The Israelites again did what was evil in the sight of the Lord. This is how every chapter begins. And the Lord gave them into the hand of the Philistines for 40 years. There was a certain man named Zorah of the tribe of the Danites, whose name was Manoah. His wife was barren, having borne no children. And an angel of the Lord appeared to the woman and said to her, Although you are barren, you have borne no children. You shall conceive and bear a son. Now be careful not to drink wine or strong drink or eat anything unclean, for you shall conceive and bear a son. No razor is to come on his head. That's important. For the boy shall be a Nazarite to God from birth. It, shall, it is he who shall begin to deliver Israel from the hand of the Philistines. Then the women came and told her husband, A man of God came to me, and his appearance was like that of an angel of God, most awe-inspiring. 
I did not ask him where he came from, and he did not tell me his name. But he said to me, you shall conceive and bear a son. So then drink no wine or strong drink and eat nothing unclean, for the boy shall be a Nazarite to God from birth to the day of his death. So what we hear is this origin story of the birth that's very similar to other stories in scripture of a woman who cannot bear children, who becomes pregnant. And she's told specifically this really weird phrase that he's going to be a Nazarene or a Nazarite, which is a specific tribe that not only held to the regular Jewish customs, but these other really important Jewish customs. Um, And so purity was incredibly important to them and being made clean was incredibly important to them. And so what the angel of the Lord is saying about Samson is that Samson will not only be really strong, but he will be really pure and he will lead the Israel people and deliver them through this idea of purity and cleansing. And then finally in verse 24 of that first chapter it says, the woman bore a son and named him Samson. The boy grew and the Lord blessed him. The spirit of the Lord began to stir in him in Mehanedan between Zorah and Estol. When he came to Lehi, the Philistines came shouting to meet him. So this is at the beginning of the next chapter. So Samson grows up, becomes very strong, and starts to follow God. But then he finds that this strength actually attracts a lot of women. And so there's a lot of this story that we can't read because it has to do with Samson and some women. Some that he is rather fond of and some that he's rather not. But we will talk about Delilah here in a minute. But in verse 14 of the next chapter, it's talking about a time when he comes to a different land and how strong he is. This is a very notable part uh, with the jawbone and the donkey. It says, when he came to Lehi, the Philistines came shouting to meet him, and the spirit of the Lord rushed on him. And the ropes that were on his arms became like flax flax that has caught fire. His bonds melted off his hands. Then he found a fresh jawbone of a donkey, reached down and took it, and with it he killed a thousand men. And Samson said, with the jawbone of a donkey, heaps upon heaps, with the jawbone of a donkey, I have slain a thousand men. That's my Samson impression. When he had finished speaking, he threw away the jawbone at that place, was called Ramath Lehi. By then he was very thirsty and he called on the Lord saying, you have granted this victory by the hand of your servant. Am I now to die of thirst and fall into the hands of the uncircumcised? So God split open the hollow place that is at Lehi and water came from it. When he drank, he, his spirit returned and he was revived. Therefore it was named in Hakor, which is at Lehi to this day. And he judged Israel in the days of the Philistines for 20 years. So Samson was very strong. Samson was somebody that then judged the Israelites for 20 years. And he showed this great strength by winning victorious victories through his great strength. But I picked out this one part of the scripture with this jawbone and the donkey because I find it interesting that at the end he says, I have won this victory. God, have you not seen what I have done? I have defeated the Philistines. I have the one who is really to be praised here. And I really am thirsty. So are you really going to let me die now? And so God opens up a way for him to have his thirst quenched. 
But I'm wondering today, in all of the gifts that Samson is given, I'm wondering if it is about how gifted you are or what you do with those gifts. Because Samson is very gifted, but for what? It's easy to see how we can get caught up in our gifts, in the things that we are good at. And we can do that instead of knowing what God can do with our gifts. What can God do with what has been given to us? That's a different question than what do I do with my gifts? What can God do with the gifts that God has given to us? What you find in a lot of athletes and a lot of people with immense talent is that the more talent that they have, the more responsibility they have. With great strength comes great responsibility. It's not just about being good at something. It's about learning to be humble. It's about learning to see the rest of the team. Even if you are somebody who plays golf, let's say, that's a one-person team, right? Well, not exactly, because most of those really good golfers will tell you that the professionals are the ones that are listening in their ear to the person that's helping them with the strategy for the next hole. We don't use our gifts on our own, and our gifts are not ours. They are given to us by God. And I wonder today if Samson had asked, what do I do with the gifts God has given to me instead of what can God do for me with what God has given to me? If his story might have ended a little different. So he goes on and he rules the people of Israel in some good ways and in some not so good ways. He's mainly focused on himself. He's focused on his own victories. He's focused on his own interest. He's focused on what is going to get him ahead, what is going to help him look good. And he enters this scene with this woman named Delilah. In chapter 16, we read a little bit about her. It says, when Delilah realized that he had told her his whole secret, so she had gone into the tent with him, and she had known that there was some secret to his strength. And she had tried to get it from him many times. And finally, Samson revealed to her that his strength was found in his hair, and his hair was not to be cut like Rapunzel's. The whole secret she sent and called the lords of the Philistines, saying, This time come up, for he has told me his whole secret. Then the lords of the Philistines came up to her and brought, brought the money in their hands. She let him fall asleep on her lap, and she called a man and had him shave off the seven locks of his head. He began to weaken, and his strength left him. The Philistines are upon you, Samson. When he awoke from his sleep, he thought, I will go out as at other times and shake myself free. But he did not know that the Lord had left him. So the Philistines seized him and gouged out his eyes. They brought him down to Gaza and bound him with bronze shackles and ground at the mill in the prison. But the hair of his head began to grow again after it had been shaved. This is an incredibly tragic story of a man who finally reveals his secret and begins to feel a weakness for the first time probably in his whole life. And this mockery begins to happen. This mockery of the Philistines. We hear about all these times that the Israelites are, are delivered and rescued and the Philistines and the different armies that go up against them are, are defeated. 
And then here in this story, what we find is that the opposite happens. The Philistines win. And what they end up doing with Samson is making a mockery of him. Making a mockery of his strength. Making a mockery of his people and the people of God. So what do we get out of the book of Judges? And they all lived happily ever after. Well, the book of Judges is actually written like a tragedy. It ends like a tragedy. Now, if you've ever watched an old Western or or read a a piece of literature, we know that there is still a lot we can learn from tragedy. There's a lot that tragedy teaches us. And in the book of Judges, maybe what we are finding is that the book of Judges doesn't teach us as much about God as it does about our humanity. It teaches us about our sinful nature. It teaches us about the things that happen when we are broken people. It teaches us what happens when we think it's all about us and we turn away from God. What the book of Judges does is it turns the mirror back on us. It is that important work, important reflection of what does it mean to be human and what does it mean to be broken We see this cycle in the book of Judges over and over that goes from the cycle of sin, the the Israelites did what was evil in the sight of the Lord, to deliverance, God brings a judge and delivers the people and rescues them, to then a time of peace, to then the cycle of renewed sin, Israelites did what was evil in the sight of the Lord, deliverance, and then peace. But in this story, the cycle reverts. There is no deliverance. There is no peace. What happens with Samson is that all of a sudden the judges are not the ones who are delivering anymore. And maybe we're never the ones delivering in the first place. Maybe it would be that they were just the instrument that God used. So we see this turn and this different cycle that talks to us about who we are. I began to think about cycles in our lives and, um, and how our life is made up of many cycles and seasons. Now, we may think that our life is very episodic or very routine. We have a pattern of waking up every day and getting dressed and going to work. And, but no one day is the same as the next day. And our lives have cycles and seasons where things are really good and when things are really bad. And I had this memory um, this past weekend of uh, the cycle that we were at this time two years ago coming out of a pandemic, going into school for the first time, and the children going back into school, and the fight around masks, and how tense school boards got, how tense our families got, how tense we all got. And I was reminded of a... um, a blog that my senior pastor in Nashville wrote around this time. He said, my wife Amanda has been saying this for months, and I think she's right, that we as a society are experiencing one big group trauma together. Just list out all the major things that have happened in the last 18 months, put them all in context of the kind of a global pandemic that no one alive has ever faced before. Mix in any personal tragedy you've experienced, and you've got one big ongoing group trauma. She says it's going to take a long time for us to deal with what we've been going through, and I agree with her. But here's what I've been thinking about this week. Not only are we experiencing one big group trauma together, 
but we've entered into a big group trauma cycle. And we seem to be stuck in it in a major way. Not only are we experiencing group trauma together, but in the ways that we're responding to it, we're inflicting it on each other. Think about it. Our rallies and our protests have become angrier and more destructive and violent. Close friends and family who used to be able to agree to disagree are no longer speaking to each other after some kind of falling out over politics or COVID or racial tension or name the topic because every topic has become heels dug in, us versus them, grudge match. School board meetings across the country have devolved into chaotic shouting matches filled with threats. Conservatives and liberals alike are spewing hate and vitriol toward one another. Maybe worst of all, anyone and everyone who has access to the internet has a platform to write and share and say whatever destructive, hurtful, vindictive thing they want to write and say with little to no regard for what actually might be true about the person they're attacking. As I read through this that he wrote two years ago, it sounded an awful lot like the book of Judges. <laughs> I like to think of the book of Judges as something that happened a long time ago and that sort of violence and that sort of anger and that sort of constant cycle of trauma and cycle where people turn away from God and turn away from each other. That's something that happened a long time ago, right? And then I was reminded of all the things that we've been through and the cycles in humanity that we are going through. And I wondered today if maybe what we take from judges is an opportunity for a new cycle. Maybe a cycle of humility. One where it's common to hear the words, I might be wrong about this, coming from our own mouths. A cycle of gentleness, one where we can take a deep breath before we respond, one where we think before we write or speak. A cycle of patience, one where we remember not everyone else on the planet has the exact same life experiences as we do and therefore someone else might have a completely different story and perspective than we do. A cycle of forgiveness, one where two of the most common phrases in our arsenal are, I'm sorry and I forgive you. A cycle of love. One where we're making our very best effort to see other people on the planet, especially those whom we disagree with, not as idiots or enemies, but as other people that God made in God's own image. What does it look like for us to start a new cycle today? What does it look like for us to break the cycle? You know, the book of Judges could be said to be a book, and especially the story of Samson, one where there is no redemption, one where there is no grace, one where God just left the picture and everything fell apart. But you see, that's the gift of scripture. Maybe if you read it the first time, that's what you heard. But if you read it again, maybe you hear Verse 22 once again. But the hair on his head began to grow again after it had been shaved. Just one sentence, one verse. The hair on his head began to grow again after it had been shaved. Do you not hear God's grace? 
Even when everything else is falling apart, even when the cycle has brought us all the way down to the bottom, there is still this thread of God's grace running through it. Not all had been lost. Not all was gone. Just what we thought we knew was gone. God has the ability to grow in our lives. That sense of grace, that sense of love, that sense of witness for us to begin a new cycle. My prayer for you today and my prayer for me as we leave the book of Judges is that maybe what we learn from it is that we are capable of starting a new cycle. One of forgiveness, one of compassion, one of hope. Because we may be two years removed from some of that COVID nonsense, but I don't know about you, when I look at the news or when I read what's going on on Facebook, I feel like I'm still in that cycle. And I want to be part of a different one. I want to be part of a different cycle. Let's pray. God, you are our hope and our strength. And even when we don't see you, God, you are at work. Even when we think all is lost, you are still there. So God, help us today to name those places where we are just stuck. Stuck in our anger or our insecurity, stuck in our frustration, stuck in our hopelessness. God, help us to see once again today that we don't have to stay there. That you call us to a bigger and better dream. That you call us to a hope that has a new pattern of living. Help us today, oh God, to see that pattern, to be challenged and encouraged to live into that discipline in a newfound way today. God, today as the community of faith and as the body of Christ, we come together into this place and we say we will be the people that create a cycle of hope, a cycle of love, a cycle of compassion and a witness to the grace of Jesus Christ. And now the people of God join together and pray the prayer that Jesus taught us to pray. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen.